0: dark and dusty drapes, let in some light, tell Bill Boy come get my trunk, cause I'm living here tonight. Hey everybody and welcome back to a new episode of Merrill's Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this evening, Meryl McNally? good how are you zach i'm pretty good all things considered what have you been up to since we last spoke
1: absolutely nothing beyond the <laughs> usual studying yeah studying working studying working you know back and forth back and forth
0: yeah that's a <laughs> full-time job you know
1: yeah yeah nothing nothing new and unusual how about you
0: nothing new and unusual here either nothing nothing exciting it feels like i i got vaccinated so it feels like um
1: that is exciting yeah
0: yeah I I will share I shared with you privately this I fell into the side effects category (laughs) it's a very fun side effects it's a very super fun it was very trippy it was it was one of those things where it was like is this supposed to be happening right now uh but I won't I won't subject our listeners to all of that (laughs) but anyway so yeah it feels like life is kind of getting back to normal ish yep. Getting there we're getting there uh have you been watching anything since last we spoke
1: i have been doing that i have i have been peppering my studying and my working with entertainment good and and i get. has it been like a month it's been a month yes. yeah About. so i watched a couple things some of note. some of not i watched um I watched the new series on Amazon called The Vineyard. It's a Spanish Hmm. language miniseries based on a book. It's like right up my alley. It's a period drama that spans from Spain to Mexico and back to Spain again. It's pure melodrama. It drags a little. I would say that if you're a period drama fan and you love yourself a good miniseries, um, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Yeah. About that you haven't one. heard of it? It's on Amazon Prime. It's one okay. of their new, it's an Amazon original. Okay. So um, what else? Oh, I watched I watched Chaos Walking, which is the new movie with Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley. Oh Mads yeah. Michelson. Yeah. Eh, they have a lot of chemistry and they're so fun to watch. So it's eminently watchable, but the story itself is pretty weak. I mean, the whole premise is that it's sometime in the future and we've colonized other planets and in particular this one planet where men's thoughts have become visible so every thought is heard and can be seen
0: Mm -hmm.
1: women do not have this same side effect okay and so this colony all the women were supposedly murdered by the aliens who lived on the planet although they're not really aliens if it was their planet first but whatever (laughs) um but that's like actually not true anyway it's very convoluted but it has a killer cast I mean Cynthia Erivo is in it uh Mads Michelson and then Daisy Ridley Tom Holland I feel like there are a couple other people in it too it's a it's a good cast It, it should be better than it is
0: okay that's good to know
1: And then I binged watched all three seasons of Yellowstone because I have not watched it up to now. And my dad is a fan and I'm a huge Sheridan fan, Taylor Sheridan. I love his, I love Teller High Water, Wind River, Sicario. Um, And so I binged watched Yellowstone to my detriment, I will add, because I lost lots of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) uh you know what I'm 100% hooked I will continue to watch it when the new season comes out I have bought into it hook line and sinker but I will say that it is so sloppily written Uh, it's I mean it too is a melodrama and you know I've said it before it's my favorite (laughs) genre I just love me a good melodrama but it um yeah, he's like like character development is not really there and he they're definitely struggle writing women although the 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 main daughter character is fantastic. And then they like they set the groundwork for plot points and then it's like they decide they don't want to deal with it anymore, so they just write it out. Hmm. And they do it consistently like it happens all the time with plot points it's like bleh, bleh. let's go down this other road oh you know what I'm bored of that let's go down this road and you're like wait
0: interesting
1: yeah hmm. it is it is interesting but it has um it has a lot of those traditional western tr- tropes that people love so I don't think it matters like it's a huge hit Every- everyone's watching so I-, right. I jumped on the bandwagon yeah yeah have you seen any of it ever
0: I've not. I'm I'm interested in it. I want to watch it. Uh, I guess it's one of the many shows uh, I feel like I've probably talked about this with, with most, m- most shows, unless you know it's only going to last a season or two. I'll wait until there's a solid like four mm-hmm. or five seasons to binge. Um, that's smart.
1: Because it's only 10 episodes per season. It's over like that. Right. Yeah, that's smart. I will say that the show really illustrates what a true star kevin costner is right like we all know he's a famous movie star and he's great and i love his films but this just this leans into his persona so much that i would basically i would watch the show for for him and uh cole hauser is in it and uh he's great the the two the two of them really kelly Riley who's in pride and prejudice the thing that comes to the top of my head but she's she's fantastic i really watch it for the three of them and the rest of it is extraneous (laughs) sure (laughs) Yeah, but it's, it's good. How about you? What have you been watching?
0: I've, I've watched a few things as well. A bunch of them. It's it's sort of like you, right? Like, I feel like I have something to say about a couple of them and a couple of them are kind of inconsequential in the scheme of things. Um, one of them I had kind of forgotten about until you were talking about Amazon Prime. But I watched the two seasons and I don't know if it'll only be two seasons or maybe doing a third of Homecoming. Did you ever watch that show, Homecoming?
1: With uh, Julia Roberts?
0: Yeah, she's in the first season and then the second okay. season the lead switches over to Janelle Monáe, a lot of the premise stays the same. There are some crossover characters, um, but a lot of it, like Bobby Cannavale is in both seasons, although he's not in every episode or anything. Chris Cooper is in the second season with Janelle Monáe, and he's really, really good. I really, this, if I felt like maybe my perception of it was wrong, because I haven't really looked into it to see like what, how popular it was or anything. But I felt like, it was one of those like really hyped shows that kind of never went anywhere. Maybe I like I feel like I don't hear talk- people talking about this show, and um, I really liked it. I thought it was really good and really yeah. interesting. Um, so I would encourage people to check it out. It's very it's very watchable. Um, it's not I don't know how many episodes. It feels like maybe eight in a season. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a big commitment by any stretch. And just really interesting. You'll kind of know an episode or two in whether or not it's your kind of thing. And I would say, unlike a lot of shows that we've talked about where, you know, we say things like, oh, you need to give it four or five episodes, you know, to you'll know if you like it or not, basically. Yeah. You can tell it's not your thing, I think. But really interesting. So I watched that. I watched the first season of Lovecraft Country, which was the HBO. Have you watched I don't-
1: it? No, but I've heard great things about it, and it's in my queue. It that and um, I, I may destroy you are two on right. HBO that I really want to dig into.
0: Yeah, I haven't I haven't gone there yet with I may destroy you. I'm it's it's another one that I'm building up to. That's the one that's about sexual assault, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely captured in there.
0: Okay, uh, I I've read. You know, it's just one of those things. That one feels a little bit more heavy. Lovecraft Country certainly is not light, but it's a little bit more like, I mean, it deals with a lot of racial issues, but it's also like, it's its kind of hard to follow for me because it goes like sci-fi and it goes like in all these different directions. And it's a show where it feels like there's definitely an arc to it. You know, the, the episodes do connect, but they're also somewhat standalone in a way um Mm -hmm. and so i don't know i find it a little difficult to follow and yet it was always interesting i would definitely give it a thumbs up i mean i think it's interesting enough i i felt like it's a show that you either really need to pay full attention to or uh watch more than once probably or at least for somebody like me who's more like narrative driven and if somebody's battling somebody i don't know like if if there, in Lovecraft country in particular, there are people who like, you know, take off their, not take off their mask, but basically like become somebody else. And it's like, I, I, who are you? What's happening here? I don't get it. It's hard for me sometimes with all these kind of fantastic shows. I just don't do well with that. But, and then outside of that, I've been trying to keep up with uh some of the awards season stuff i think since we last talked i don't know if i talked at all about judas and the black messiah or i watched that and i watched the united states versus billy holiday both no, of we which we were... talked about those yeah have you watched oh, i think
1: we did talk about i think we did talk about billy holiday
0: we might have although i watched that one pretty recently i don't know if i i think i haven't seen it probably when last we talked because i only saw it pretty yeah. recently
1: but. i may be completing it with a review i read
0: sure yeah have you watched either of those?
1: I haven't. They're in my queue. I really, listen, I have been the worst movie watcher. Like you, you will find me watching shit like The Vineyard, like like right. Spanish melodramas. Like I just can't, I cannot focus on anything of real substance or entertainment value.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> the Golden Globes, I think it just happened. And I don't think we talked, specifically about this joke. I know you said you didn't end up watching it, but um, Tina Fey made a great, really on point joke about how streaming services have kind of made it so that nobody has the patience for a two hour movie. What we want is to watch five episodes of a one hour drama, but two hours one thing. Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) you know, there's so true. It's, it's wild.
1: Yeah. I make that decision every time. Like, I don't want to watch a two hour movie. And then I binge five episodes of something that is so accurate. That's what I do. Yeah. And, and I, there's something about, you know, what really did it to me? And this is, this is still pre-binging was, um, the Mad Men Breaking Bad era.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I found that I wanted to, like, I watched the first, I started both of those shows a little late I wasn't watching wholly along with broadcasting and so I binged the first couple of seasons and then was forced to watch with the television audience as new episodes came out and I found the shift so distasteful <laughs> that I've, I've really never been the same and I really don't like I very rarely this this podcast keeps me watching movies to tell you the truth
0: Right. Well, I I go back even earlier than that. For me, it was Lost. It was the first season of Lost because I remember everybody, you know, that was a huge show when it was on originally. And that first season in particular, everybody loved that first season. And it happened to be that summer after it, I didn't watch the first season, but the summer after it had aired was the one summer I worked in a video store. I'll share my video store stories another day because I have plenty of them. It was really the only real job I've ever had. And it was amazing. I loved it. (laughs) But weird things happen when you work in a video store. (laughs) But, you know, they would, they, we got free rentals and we were like, we were supposed to rent, we were supposed to watch basically as much as we could, because believe it or not, when you work in a video store, it sounds strange and maybe things have changed because video stores don't really exist. But people would come in and ask you for recommendations, I mean, so many times during the day that like you had to know what, what the current stuff, you had to like be able to say, well, if you like this, you'll like this, you know? And so we were, that was almost part of the job was to watch things. And so the, the first season on DVD, I watched in a couple days and then like going back in season two and watching it weeks apart was so difficult. I hated it, yeah not the show, but just watching.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, no, it was the worst, especially someplace, some show like Lost, that's so, um, so baiting you know, they're really great at the hook at the end of the episode. And you just really want to go to the next one. I can remember that. I, um, I also binge watched lost during law school. I remember that it was like, give me, give me the deserted island.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. We were, um, talking to my nephew about lost yesterday actually and asking him you know have you ever heard of the show and thinking it would be something he was in G- he was over and we did the new king kong versus godzilla on hbo movie we actually kind of went back and did the godzilla from 2014 the one with Elizabeth olsen and then yeah. the newer one godzilla king of the monsters with millie bobby, bobby brown and vera formiga and this is more direct well, to that one um but it was, I thought it was, it was well done too. I mean, it's another action movie that's a little bit light on plot, but, you know, visually yeah. really interesting. And I said to him afterwards, I was like, it's a shame. We couldn't see that in the theater. And he goes, oh, so, so much. I wanted to, you know,
1: yeah. but I still- the theater, they are starting to, I think they schedule the reopening of the movie theaters here, which I'm really excited about and i'm 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 going i'm like first i don't even care what movie it is i want to sit down i want to watch a movie in a movie theater i am ready um i was gonna say oh you worked at a video store have you seen the documentary the last blockbuster on netflix
0: i haven't i've been i'm interested in in watching that though i have not
1: i've i've watched half of it i haven't finished it yet it is a little bit kevin smith and his bros decided to get together and talk about how much they love video stores so there's a lot of like white men reminiscing about video stores but that could change towards the end of it it is really interesting though to see the last blockbuster and find out the history behind blockbuster and video stores in general and how their their actual contract deals with the studios like laid the groundwork it's, re- it's really cool. I think you'd like it.
0: Yeah. I, I, again, I will share someday. I will share like the interesting stories. I will say that the one summer that I worked there, we got held up by gunpoint twice. And those are not even good stories. Like oh there gosh. was, there was way weirder stuff that happened than that. You know,
1: I, I cannot wait to hear it. In fact, I think maybe we need to dedicate an episode to your blockbuster stories or to your video <laughs> star stories.
0: Well, I mean, I have, I have like two really good ones that I can think of. So it won't even be a full episode, but yes. One of of these days (laughs) doing a movie where we don't have much to talk about. We'll, we'll dive into it. We
1: should go so far off script and, and invite our listeners to write in horror, horror (laughs) employment stories that we can share on the podcast. And then we can share our own because don't we all have them? We all have them.
0: I was so happy to get, I mean, like I've had weird, I've had a ton of weird gig stories, but like I said, this is like the only real gig that I like real job in a way that I ever worked. I worked at a, at a theater for a couple of years. I guess that was a real job too, but this was like, you know, the closest you'd come to just like anything could happen at any moment kind of thing, because you know, it's in, you're working in a theater. It's not like you have customers coming in and out, you know, it was, it was great. Right. so this was the real true, like, you just didn't know what was gonna happen any given day. And it was kind of fun. It was really awesome that way. But um, yeah, I'm trying to make my way through these Oscar ones little bit by little bit here. I'm, I'm really hoping The Father and The Nari become available before Oscars. Those are kind of two big ones. I still have to see Promising Young Woman and um, The Sound of Metal. Um, but I think those are more available. Like Promising Young Woman, you can red box at this point.
1: Yeah, I did see promising young woman, but I think that maybe I'm going to pull up the list real quick. I think that's the only one I've seen. Like, I'm in really bad shape for 2021
0: Oscars. You did see promising young woman? I did.
1: Oh, tell us about
0: that. We talked oh, when yeah. you did the trailer, but Have I know it? No.
1: I don't what? think so. I don't think so. That's crazy. Um, I saw it so long ago. Like I, I saw it with like the first, like the moment it was available early access. I paid 20 bucks, man, to see that sucker. Oh, I'm gonna, I've slept since then. It is so good. It is totally controversial. Mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan is amazing in it, which is no surprise. I think what was really interesting is the choice to cast so all of the male characters are cast with actors who are known for and traditionally play the nicest guys right. in TV and film. And so and they're just not <laughs> in this particular piece. Emerald Fennel's script is great. I think a major standout for the film is the soundtrack and the cinematography and costume design. The the color palette and the sound of the film are incredibly striking and really help as a good, like the colors are kind of, um, you know, Taylor Swift's lover album, like all those rainbow hues, like that's sort of the, that's the color palette for promising young woman mixed with some like, like 1980s neon kind of, and it's really meant to be a juxtaposition with the sort of dark, heavy content. I don't like, I don't want to get into plot because not everybody has seen it and it's definitely like, you don't want to spoil it. Alfred Molina has a bit part in it he plays um he plays a lawyer who has had a nervous breakdown and um was at one time known for representing men who've been charged with with rape and getting them out like a a defense lawyer who has been very good at getting bad people out of out of situations and uh he's great he's a standout in it for sure so nice. I'm not saying much of substance. I would highly recommend it. Bo Burnham is also really great in the movie. And I don't know his comedy. And I have not I watched his other acting performances. And I thought I mean he's he's really great. I, I just I can't say enough good things about it. I will say that it's you know, people have picked it apart and found the problems with it, which I think they were always going to given the controversial subject matter. And there's no way to capture a nuanced issue like, like sexual assault and, and, and rape in a way that makes everybody happy, you know, yeah. or, or work. So I don't know.
0: Has it been, I mean, I know it was somewhat controversial as you as I think you mentioned there was like a fight that broke out at the first screening right they kind of infamously hit, at like the con film or some film festival but I've seen really only raves for it to tell you the truth not that I'm you know
1: I have I have seen some mixed reviews about it because like let's just sort of like to set up the set up the plot, Carrie, Carrie Mulligan is working in a coffee shop you find out she's dropped out of med school you find out that she dropped out of med school to care for her friend who is no longer w- with us um uh, because her friend was sexually assaulted in med school and and ended up having to drop out and sort of as a result of this incident Carrie Mull- Mulligan gets dolled up you know so so many nights a weekend and goes out and f- and you know, acts just fall down drunk and this is evident from the from the preview too and you know the nice guy will quote unquote will offer to take her home and then they try to make a move on her and that's when she reveals her sobriety and the way it's written it builds a lot of tension because it almost feels like a horror film you're not quite sure what she's doing with these guys is she's killing them is she you don't know at the beginning of the film and that's revealed over time um So there's there's a there's a revenge aspect to the film that I think rubs people the wrong way, and I get it. Like in one specific instance, it ends up not being revenge on men, but revenge on another classmate, female classmate from medical school, because she stood by and let it happen, Um, and that's where you know it it just gets very murky, but. That's, I mean, I would argue that that's the whole point of the film is that it's meant to be like women are painted as being so nice and we're not supposed to be angry and we're not supposed to want revenge. And I think the film captures revenge fantasy while still maintaining that niceness that women have. Like it does both and so i th- i find it very interesting i th- i thought it was great i watched it twice within 24 hours
0: nice yeah. i mean it, it it sounds like every subversive movie to me where there's going to yeah. be people who like it and people who don't but you know i haven't seen it so i'm not really one to comment except to say that like there's probably that anybody who's offended in some way shape or form by this movie would probably look at another movie that somebody else might be offended by and justify it through its subversiveness in some way say well it's a commentary on or it's a satire of, or it's you know it's reflecting this such and such a thing and you know it's yeah it's what some movies do
1: yeah yeah totally so uh yeah i highly recommend it for sure
0: it is interesting to see i think that's the one category for the oscars that's really a question mark is the best actress one i feel like the other the best supporting actor and best actor like you can just write daniel kaluuya and chadwick boseman on those trophies right now they're getting those trophies and the woman from minari is most likely to win the supporting actress you know the uh there's a couple other possibilities there but it's probably her but in the best actress, like you could really conceivably see it going to any of the five. I who, Carrie who, who won the sack,
1: Viola Davis, right?
0: Viola Davis. Yeah. And Carrie Mulligan didn't even get nominated for the BAFTA, nor did Viola Davis, nor did Andrew Day. Andrew Day won the Golden Globe. Um, Frances McDormand, I think was the perceived front runner at one point. I don't know if she's won any of it. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think Kerry Mulligan won the Critics' Choice, Viola Davis won the SAG, and Andrew Day won the Golden Globe. So it's like, who knows?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see.
0: And, you know, Francis McDormand and Vanessa Kirby are still in the mix. I mean, like, it could be one of those years where maybe they all split votes, maybe Vanessa Kirby wins, just because everybody else is splitting the vote. Like, something really crazy could happen, you know? She's probably not. The, the likeliest one, but I think, you know, if you, if you were a, a betting uh, individual, I think it's probably a three-way race at this point between Carrie Mulligan, Viola Davis and Andrew Day and yeah. Francis McDormand and Vanessa Kirby have kind of gone to the side, mostly because Francis McDormand is not like playing the circuit at all. They yeah. Like she just doesn't seem to, I read an interview um, with Marsha Gay Harden. She did this thing where she was talking about, uh, it must be a new series that uh, one of the the companies is doing where they're asking somebody about like every aspect of the Oscar they won 20 years ago. And Marsha Gay Harden was talking about um, when she won for Pollock, she won Best Supporting Actress. And it kind of has sent some shockwaves because uh, she was up against four people, including Frances McDormand, and Kate Hudson from Almost Famous at the time, and um, I, Judy Judy Dench, and I can't remember who the other one was, but she was talking about her. Her win was unexpected, and she she implied that somebody was not happy that she had won. Somebody was kind of a little pissed that they didn't win, and so the interviewer did kind of a good job of being like, "Why didn't that person like it?" And she goes, "Oh no, it wasn't that person." And eventually, it got down to she had eliminated everybody except Judy Dench. So it was clear Judy Dench was the person who was pissed off. Oh, that's crazy!
1: That's good job,
0: to- but- them But the it got down to it was either Frances McDormand or Judy Dench. And she said, "Well, Frances McDormand's a friend of mine, and Frances McDormand doesn't give a shit about the awards that she wins." <laughs> and it's like that's kind of true about this too. It feels like yeah, we're not, you know, she just doesn't seem to be interested in this award anyway so maybe they're not going to oh. give it to her <laughs>
1: do we think that this is the year they're going to give one to Glenn Close for I, you know,
0: I I, don't think so I think the woman from Inari wins I I'm not uh, mm-hmm. I actually think Glenn Close is probably in third I I wouldn't be surprised if uh the young woman from Borat too yeah she she might be in the number two position and Glenn Close is probably in the in the number three position but I just you never know i mean it could happen
1: yeah i've seen i've seen not a single one of those movies not one i've I've seen
0: most of those ones um i think i think there's maybe one that i i i haven't seen minari but i've seen the other four i've seen borat to hillbilly LG, and mink oh i didn't see the Father yet either but uh, i wanted to ask too um i know we're going a little long on the pre-show but we also this is another movie that meryl's in 12 minutes it's gotta so.
1: be short she's got a, she's she's got a two second part folks
0: yeah i wanted to ask have you have you uh read the uh the bl- the blowing up of scott rudin
1: i was gonna talk to you about that absolutely yes i did because he's a major producer on broadway right. and of course he's produced some of the most iconic films and some of my favorites it is absolutely an open secret everyone in the industry knows
0: I'm uh, not in the industry and I knew, you know what I, I mean? mean
1: like- I had a friend, I had a, um, a, I would say an acquaintance go work there and his name was Scott and they like made him change his name in the office because there couldn't be more than one Scott. Wow. Well. And, um, and that's minor compared to the stories that have come out of there. I, um, I, I've been, I've been torn about it for the, for a long time because, you know, Scott Rudin is—he—he he has the kind of money and power as a producer that when he—he's getting stuff put on stage that would not otherwise be on the commercial Broadway stage, and right. he is expanding people's palettes in that way. And um, very few, few people, if anybody, has the ability to do that the way he does. But that doesn't excuse smashing an assistant's hand with a computer monitor right and you know he's also he produced um the latest revival of west side story and um directed by Evo van Hove. and you know the majority of the cast were like newbie dancers baby dancers like like 18 year old kind of dancers, first time on Broadway. And they chose to cast as Bernardo, the, um, the dancer from the New York City Ballet who had been ousted for, for um, you know, sharing nude photos of his friend's ex- ex-girlfriend, another dancer, um, you know, against her will, without her permission. It was very much a revenge porn kind of situation. He, he was ultimately reinstated. There were massive protests around the production and, you know, Scott Rudin took the stance that, you know, this isn't my problem. I wasn't a part of that. And so I'm not going to deal with it. And I just have a real problem when you're putting a almost 40 year old man who has a history of, you know, problematic behavior in a cast full of young baby dancers. Um, right. I just had a problem with it. So I, um, I'd be, I'm be very, very, very curious to see what Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster do. They are lined up to be in his Music Man. Uh, when Broadway reopens, um, the heat is picking up steam. More and more people are coming forward. I think this is a real opportunity for Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster to come forward and say, we're withdrawing. That's a big ask though. It's a dream role for both of them. And, um, you know, it was absolutely gonna sell out. So I don't know, I don't know what they'll do. I'm curious to see, what are your thoughts?
0: I mean, yeah, he's, I'm kind of echoing, it's an echo chamber of what you said. The problem is, you know, from, from just an observer, he's produced some of my favorite things, like both in the yeah. theater and, and on film. Like he did the hours he direct, I mean, he's, he's produced a bunch of Merrill's movies.
1: A Few Good Men, The Firm.
0: Yeah, so many yeah. great movies. He, he was the producer on the recent revival of um, To Kill a Mockingbird. He, a, a bunch of stuff that I've seen in on Broadway, the Denzel one he did, um, you know. And, but, you know, you don't excuse the fact that he's doing that good stuff and getting your favorite people these good roles you, you know for for this i will say just to clarify as far as i know i don't think there's been any accusations of like inappropriate sexual stuff it's just like his yeah. temper has been insane and i that, do
1: think that's why it's taken so long for the for the heat right, right. because because he he yeah there are no allegations of sexual misconduct um it, it's just physical and verbal abuse
0: right and actually yeah. to me Yes, no biggie. <laughs> just just throwing things at assistants and bragging about the fact that he'd gone through 119 assistants within five years as if that's like as a, an achievement instead of you know, an indication that something's wrong.
1: This is not by any means a way of excusing his behavior because I find it atrocious and I always have. But that has been the culture in the entertainment industry for the life of the film industry. And absolutely on Broadway too. I mean, there, there was just an article, um, you know, sort of comparing the situation to Jerome Robbins. Jerome Robbins was notoriously brutal. And we have, we have as a culture sort of allowed this behavior because we are in the presence of, you know, for lack of a better word, geniuses who are making this amazing creative product. I just think now, there is absolutely a changing of the guard. You can't, Woody Allen's genius, if you want to call it that, (laughs) um, doesn't excuse his wildly illegal and egregious behavior, not just towards his daughter, Dylan, but the entire family, right? Like everything he's done, including his harassment of Mia Farrow has been so awful. So I think, I, I just think we're at a time where there's a passing of the guard and like, it's, or the passing of the baton and, and, and a changing of the guard mixed metaphors. And, um, I just, I think he needs to be held accountable.
0: It, to me, there are two interesting, really interesting components in play. One is the fact that, uh, again, repeat the fact that there are no sexual <laughs> misconduct allegations. We're going to find out how much that is, you know, if that's the thing versus yep just bad behavior, if, if it will tread lightly in some way. And the second thing is mostly uh, how he's responded to it, which has been not at all, versus like a lot of times when there have been allegations against somebody, that person gets out in front of it and has a response and either owns it, most often in kind of not particularly accountable ways, you know, like not taking full accountability, but in some way trying To explain away their bad behavior. A few instances of somebody just saying, yeah, I was awful and I, you know, whatever, but he has not responded at all. And it is interesting to see, like, will this just go away? Probably not. But I mean, that's clearly what he's hoping will happen right now.
1: There's, there is a possibility because there is not that sexual misconduct aspect of it. And the real question is, Listen, Woody Allen got away with it for years because he was economically viable and people still wanted to be in his films because he was a reputable film director and writer. I mean, he was a legend. The same thing with Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein didn't get taken down until he was no longer, um, you know, an economic powerhouse. He wasn't making the movies he had been earlier. And I, I do think there's an economic component. If, if somebody like Hugh Jackman isn't prepared to step out of projects because Scott Rudin is involved, um, then he is absolutely still economically viable and he is a massive powerhouse and he's not going anywhere and he doesn't have to respond because nothing will happen. Right. And I don't think, because, because the people who are speaking up are assistants, they have no power in the industry and they don't they don't have any influence so they can stand up and cry as much as they want to until 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 the people who work around Scott Rudin are willing to distance themselves from that kind of behavior right. I, I don't think anything will happen I I'm ho- hopeful that it will
0: right but. well and ultimately before we finally get on to evening here um, you know uh, it's it's a matter of, I don't know anybody, including you and I, who go to see a lot of things in all of the categories of, you know, performing where like you don't go to see something or boycott something in general, because of one of the producers, you might do that because it's a Woody right. Allen. Movie. You might right. not go to any more Woody Allen movies. You might never go be willing to go see a Kevin Spacey movie ever again, or, or Harvey Weinstein produced movie. I guess that's kind of the same thing, but um, you know, I don't think anybody's going to boycott a film or a show because of Scott Rudin, probably. So, you know, maybe he does get a pass. I don't know. It's hard to say.
1: Listen, honestly, like I can, you know, I I, I can sit on this platform we have right here and, and talk about how I find his behavior egregious and power players need to step down. I could very easily end up going to see a Scott Rudin movie because I didn't look at the producer list and I'm not going to be mad about it. Right? right. So like, I'm part of the problem too, because I'm not sure I'm so, I was just talking the other day in actually one of my law school classes about how inconsistent I am personally about the standards I keep and the, and what entertainment I'm willing to consume as, as a result of that. So I absolutely don't watch Woody Allen movies and never will. I, um um I feel the same way about Roman Polanski I but I go see Tom Cruise movies right you you know and there have been some heinous allegations (laughs) out there with the Church of Scientology and now Scott Rudin's on the list and I have to like I have to really stop and think about that I think about a point where I can't I just can't, I can't contribute to the victimization of those poor assistants because I've been in their shoes in in some capacity or another. And I just like, to the extent my solidarity is helpful, which it's not because I have no power, but, um, I'm, I'm going to show up for them because they, every single one of them deserved better.
0: Right. Well, Let's transition into evening, shall we? I
1: did it. I hope it didn't make anybody mad. Love you all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, unless Scott Rudin is listening to this, I don't think he'd be right? like... uh... But yeah, what a what a bummer. Like so many of these others, what a bummer. Cause he really has produced so many of my favorite things. It's just oh, a yeah. shame but like you say we there were it's not really a secret or a surprise because there had been rumors for years so i don't know
1: i, I have an, I have a non story story about scott rudin i got i got to go to um the final dress rehearsal of the waverly gallery um mm. which it was one of his shows and because it was the final dress like the tech table was still up and and um i i sat i sat across the aisle from him I was in the room with the man. Wow. Yeah. That's did, it. That's a non-story did, story.
0: Did you pick up on any uh, bad behavior on him that night?
1: No, no. He was totally professional in that instance. And um, there were, there were quite a few invited guests at the final, at the final dress. And so it was very, you know, very much about the presentation and he was 100% professional in that setting.
0: Well, and that's one of the things that the the kind of Hollywood reporter article that broke this said that he could turn it on and off like a charm. Like he would be terrible to an assistant. But as soon as the walked into the room, he was a different person, an extreme professional. So, you know.
1: You know, I've known a lot of lawyers like that who treat their staff like crap, but then you know, another lawyer comes in the room or a coworker and they're like the greatest. And I just don't, I have zero patience. I'm like, what makes the assistant any less human? So this is really about optics for you. And then you're just a bad person. Like, don't do that.
0: Don't do that. All right. Evening. Let's do it. We are here to talk, believe it or not, about (laughs) the 2007 movie Evening, I wonder mi- how
1: many listeners we lose who are like, I thought this podcast was about Meryl Streep. What the hell, people?
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry, folks. Um, even for us, that one rambled, I think.
1: <laughs> it did. You can edit it down. <laughs>
0: snip, snip. But, well, here, let's start with a synopsis. How did, Yeah, you want to take a dive at this one? I think this one's a little tricky.
1: It is a little bit tricky. Okay, so the film takes place in... In in present day and flashes back to know, the nineteen late nineteen fifties, early sixties, maybe nineteen fifties. It's,
0: de- it's definitely fifties. Um, yeah, because of the the costumes,
1: yeah. yeah. So um Vanessa Redgrave is is um she's older, she's dying of cancer, her two daughters are caring for her, and she starts to reminisce about her past. And that leads us into flashbacks about a week about a weekend when she went to her best friend. Lila's wedding in, in Newport. Um, Lila is her friend from college. She's also quite close friends with Lila's brother, Buddy played by Hugh Dancy and, um, Lila and Buddy come from a very wealthy family. And um, what's her character's name? I'm going to edit that out.
0: Claire Danes' character. Yeah. Anne.
1: Anne. Um, so Anne, Anne is a little bit of a fish out of the water. And when she's she's a bridesmaid, when she gets there, she meets the housekeeper's son, who's now a doctor, Harris, who's played by Patrick Wilson. And it's really about the interpersonal dynamics of these characters over this weekend where Lila gets married and Vanessa Redgrave or or plays Anne older passing away and how she's reflecting on on her time in her youth that's a very that's a broad strokes there's a lot more detail but
0: yeah this it's a story of like everybody falls in love with patrick wilson is one way to put it yeah
1: that's the story everyone's in love with harris folks
0: yeah Um, well i'm
1: in love with harris
0: (laughs) (laughs) so so claire dane's character anne and lila played by mamie gummer um and Mamie, or Lila, Mamie's character, is marrying somebody else, but she's in love with Harris. And Harris then kind of falls in love with Anne, played by Claire Danes. And then uh, Buddy, who is Lila's sister, kisses him and says, right. well, not that way, but we all have a crush on him. And like, you know, yeah. it's, it's all very, uh, everybody is in love with Harris, basically. And kind of, it's that thing of, what happens when you try and fail and then 50 years go by Do you look back on it with regret and then there's this other person who's also your like best friend who has this history with him too you know yeah so what is oh go ahead sorry
1: I was gonna say Meryl Streep plays Mamie Gummer character older she goes to see Vanessa Redgrave while she's pat while she's um you know blessing
0: yeah so uh meryl's character appears i took a timestamp. stamp it was an hour and 31 minutes into this movie that's like roughly an hour and 50 minutes uh she is in um not all of 12 minutes or so of the movie All you know she's in a lovely scene with vanessa redgrave it's just nice to see the two of them like in bed together not in a sexual way of course they're just yeah. like talking to each other she lays down with her yeah um but it's also the kind of movie, and this is one of the most common things in both like the critical responses and the IMD responses from you know just the user reviews is like, how the hell did this incredible cast converge for this movie, which is fine, but not particularly unique. Like Glenn Close is a shining example of like how did they get Glenn Close to play this tiny little, role where she doesn't really like she gets to cry when her son dies but outside of that it's not a very interesting role how do they get her to do that you know how do they get um eileen atkins to play this nothing role how do they get you know
1: i guarantee you it went something like this although i have no idea (laughs) 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 but vanessa redgrave I don't know if this happened, but this is how I imagine it. Vanessa Redgraves picks up the script, loves it, likes the director, signs on. The minute Vanessa Redgraves signs on, Natasha Richardson, her daughter, is like, yeah, I would love to do this with you, mom. This sounds great. Let's do it. She signs on. With the two of those people on board, of course, Tony Collette comes on. Of course, Hugh Dancy comes on. Of course, Glenn Close comes on. Meryl Streep, right? Like, it's the snowball effect. Like all you needed was Vanessa Redgrave or one of them, and then the cascade, the you know, the waterfall effect is real.
0: Right. Yeah. No. It is. It it is that sort of thing. But then you wonder, how come that doesn't? I guess maybe that happened with
1: all movies.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I don't know. I do think there's something. I mean, this movie has a twenty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: Right. Right.
1: But. And then again, like you look at that and you think, okay, well, how much of this is because movie critics are predominantly male? Right. And this is right. a very female centric story. So I think there's a problem there. I, I loved this movie when it came out. I was obsessed and I loved the score. So I own yeah. the score and study to it. It's beautiful. And you know what? I think rewatching it, I feel like the same way that you said, like, it's, it's okay it's okay (laughs) it's it's a solid movie it's nothing I think what captivated me at the time was actually Hugh Dancy of all people like everybody's performance is great there's something about his in particular that'll just rip your heart out of your chest and uh stomp all over it on the floor Mm
0: -hmm. yeah no he's good I think everybody's good there's not really like a bad performance in this movie for sure it's just
1: there's something uh, ethereal about it yeah for sure
0: Yeah, I think this is a classic case. This is the same thing that honestly plagued Prairie Home Companion. It's uh, an odd set of high expectations. When you see the number of people, when you see the talent involved, you expect it to be absolutely incredible. And it's quite good. It's just, it doesn't, to tell you the truth, one of the other things about it as well is, this will sound funny, but the like incredible actresses in that group of a certain age, so Vanessa Redgrave, Meryl Glenn Close, Eileen Atkins, um, let's let's say those four in particular are kind of given the least amount to do. Yeah. Then you have the next tier, Tony Collette, um, and Natasha Richardson, who are very, very good, have a little bit more to do. But then it's but the young right, it's the younger kids. It's Claire Danes, Hugh Dancy, Patrick Wilson, and Mamie Gummer who are really truly like yeah they're the
1: heart of the story and when you're in those scenes this reminds me quite a bit of bridges of madison county when you're in those flashback scenes they're so compelling you want to stay with them right
0: totally yeah so it's not i i I wish there had been a little bit more balance actually i wish we had seen a little bit more uh, i wish vanessa redgrave wasn't relegated to just kind of this like woman who couldn't remember anything who was dying in bed yep she's great movie but that's what she does you know <laughs> like yeah if i'm gonna go see vanessa redgrave meryl streep eileen adkins and glenn close in a movie can we let them fucking act Like
1: <laughs> right i wanted so much more from glenn close and meryl streep all of them i wanted more time with them for sure that's absolutely accurate
0: yeah So, I mean, that's where I stand on the movie. I thought it was great. It was, um, I have a hard time remembering this one. I mean, I know I've seen it before, but it was not one of those movies. It's funny because even a movie like First Do No Harm, I like, I had seen that once or twice or like scenes that came back and I was like, I remembered it like, oh yeah, I totally remember the scene. I didn't have that for a second in this movie. It was like, I had never seen it before. And I know I I have.
1: I think it might have something to do with the structure. Because the flashbacks, the flashbacks aren't—they um, aren't logical. So Vanessa Redgrave is is dying of cancer, but she's not entirely lucid all the time. She's she's definitely floating in some sort of liminal space, and so it's almost like train—it's train of thought and stream of consciousness for her, and she's very much sort of reimagining her past, and so you—it's very the film ends up being quite choppy. And there's, there's not, there's not a natural arc the way you normally see. And it makes it difficult to remember. Like when you when I was, I've seen it several times, but not in years. And I couldn't remember what happened when, like it, it doesn't flow that way. Right, so I couldn't tell you like what part of the movie we were in or anything like that.
0: Yeah, um, I am with you on the music. It's a gorgeous score. Music's by Jan A. P. Casmaric. Shout out to you because that was the other thing. I mean, it's another. It's I, I think the most recent one that we talked about, if, if my memory is, it's complicated. Where we talked about how it was like porn. It was like set porn or like visual. Yeah. It's just gorgeous to look at. It's shot that it's just so beautiful. And that's another reason where, like, the, I, I don't want to sound like I'm, like, bashing this movie because it's good. Like, it's competent. It's it's good. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with this movie. And like I said, everybody's good in it. I don't think there's anybody at all, really, who's a weak link in this thing. It's um, It's just a matter of, like, some of the, some of the substance. When you've got that cast and these incredible locations, you would just think it would have a little bit more substance to it that's just lacking in a way that kind of confounds me I don't know what's missing but something's missing
1: it just nobody had enough time
0: yeah
1: nobody had enough time That's it's really what it is I mean I almost think it would make it would have made a better (laughs) miniseries
0: yeah (laughs) actually I I agree with that
1: yeah because everybody would have had more time um, and, and, and character development because you're right Vanessa Redgrave is just in this sort of you know half lucid state and you can't it is really interesting because how the movie makes you feel which is sort of nostalgic and sad and this idea of like one shot at great love right? there's this like overarching message about that but then it's coupled with this message that there every 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 step or action you take is perfect, and life is just life, and life is made up of many components, and there's no such thing as as one one long lost love. Right. And so I think the film is a little confused in that way because the sensation and emotion it generates in you is not the same thing as the message it's delivering. So I yeah. think it's a little confused.
0: Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think it also is a little bit, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is so pre me too and everything, but it is a little like, again, you get the, this, it's a very female dominated cast. You know, you've got yeah. these towering actresses and, you know, it's, it's, they're great top to bottom. It certainly doesn't pass the Brechtel test. You know what so, I mean? Like there's so many women talking to each other, but it's always I about mean. the
1: yeah. 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 Totally. 100%. Yeah.
0: It's a little, it's a little disappointing in that way too, because it feels like even when the men aren't in the scene and that happens plenty, they're there because they're being talked about. And it doesn't really work the other way. Like you never get a scene with Patrick Wilson and Hugh Dancy where they're talking about the women. Like you don't even really get their perspectives on anything at all. Maybe Hugh Dancy with his drunken ramblings, but like Patrick Wilson's character is To tell you the truth, for somebody who everybody's in love with is quite underwritten.
1: Oh, terribly. Like he was basically written as the very handsome, dashing, serious doctor, man. And that's it. Like that's all you get.
0: Right. And so his job is to basically like stare at Claire Danes the entire time in ways that sometimes I didn't really like.
1: No, it's true. There's like there's like a moment in the woods where he tries to kiss her, and she's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And then he like smooth talks her, and then they and they end up kissing anyway. I'm like, wait a second.
0: Yeah, the one that got the one that got me was um so Claire Danes, and then you know again as a as an older woman, she's played by Vanessa Redgrave. They play the same character, and uh, she's a cabaret singer, which is. I don't know, whatever. I guess I don't need to go there. But So Claire Dane sings at the wedding of um, Lila, which again is played by Mamie Gummer. So she sings this song and I don't know if it's planned or unplanned, but then she kind of like gets Patrick Wilson to come over and then they dance and then he like sings, but he's behind her and he's like that. It was so strange because he's like staring at the back of her head like he wants to like fuck the back of her head or something it was so weird
1: <laughs> it's so true it's very it's a very serial killer moment that i yeah. don't think it's intended to be right oh i totally agree it was so awkward
0: he was he was trying to go for that like searing brooding you know like again it's not his fault it's just like character was underwritten like he was doing what he was supposed to do in terms of being this like person that everybody was in love with but you know that it, it's just kind of the placement of. Of everything, honestly, like where they the blocking, as much as anything else, which just strange.
1: No, I think the other thing too is Claire Danes. She she actually has a really pleasant voice, singing voice, but it's clearly not trained. And so, and and maybe maybe people who don't sing wouldn't notice the difference, and they may not. I noticed it though watching the film, and so I don't actually believe that she's a cabaret singer. Let alone when people say lines like you've got a talent kid. You're going to be famous. Exactly. Like, Oh, oh really? <laughs> I mean, it's nice. <laughs> yeah. And also Patrick Wilson is a trained singer and has a stunning voice. And so like, you can tell, like when he's singing behind her, he's, he's like keeping it real low. <laughs> like he's barely involved in that song.
0: Right. No, I 100% agree with you on that.
1: Well, and I think I think that's a little problematic because I think the character of Anne is supposed to have a great deal of sort of magic around her, right. the same way that Harris does, right? And I do think to a larger extent Claire Dane or Dane's already has that naturally. Like she's so watchable and charismatic and 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 talented. Um, but I do think that left something missing because I do think it's one of the reasons why people are infatuated with her, but yeah, I mean, it is a really, it's a stunning movie to look at. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's eye candy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, really well done. Um, in terms of like all of those elements, this is the movie that I mentioned. I kind of teased last time I could have been an extra in this movie. Um, and when rewatching it, I kept thinking, now, where are there extras in this movie? And I think it really is two scenes. I think it's the wedding and the wedding reception. I think those are the only two scenes with extras. Like, there's a couple people in a On crowd. Yeah, in the street every once in a while. But I mean, like, there are almost no extras in this movie, which, I, which means then, like, I'm extra bummed out that I didn't get it. Because if I'd have been there for the, you know, the where wedding um i think rhode island maybe okay one of the you know yeah. connecticut rhode Clearly, island yeah somewhere out there yeah um i was in i was in on a tour at the time i was touring with a with a musical and i think we were on hiatus or something for a week we we're off for like a week or something and i emailed the casting director and her response I didn't expect to hear back from her, but she wrote, was like, I really could have used you last week. Like it was a very friendly email, which surprised me because I think I might've mentioned this in the podcast last time, but I'm surprised this casting director even got back to me to be like, thanks. I really could have used you last week, but now I've got nothing, you know, like there's no more extra work for this film. Um, Like, I feel like most casting directors just wouldn't even bother to respond. So I really... nice that they did and then that it was kind of lighthearted in that like oh I would have loved to use you last week thing was like oh what a bummer you know but
1: you know speaking of the Baxel test you know what else what other test this doesn't pass there is not oh you know what I take the piano player the 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 jazz piano player is the only only person of color in this film and we're talking like a line or two of dialogue this is a sea of white
0: people. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a very little white cast. And even that too, I mean, I guess, I guess there's nothing inherently wrong with like uh, a person of color playing a, you know, a musician, but that's also a bit of a trope too, you know?
1: Yeah. And there were opportunities like Tony Collette's boyfriend, um yeah there were plenty of opportunities to to add some diversity and color into this film and and uh they chose not to
0: yeah yeah different
1: times different times
0: different times um is this uh is is this a movie where you have favorite scenes i mean you know there's Merrill in a scene so you know like do you have a favorite scene not even Merrill necessarily
1: um meryl's scene is actually one of my favorites I love the way I'm curious if she saw the dailies um, of the footage, um, particularly the scene where where Mamie and um, Claire Danes are are in her bed the morning of her wedding talking. Because I mean, we've watched a lot of Meryl Street movies at this point, right? Like we know the way the woman's face works. Yes. Yeah. And she she does some stuff in her performance that mirror Mamie Gummer, her daughter, so accurately. And I mean, yeah, it could be family genetics, but I don't normally see that from from Meryl Streep in her performances. I don't think that's just what it is. I think she took some real time with it. There were some facial expressions and some I don't know, just, just sort of general general quality about her performance that really tapped into Mamie Gummers, which I thought was lovely, because I really believed that, that it was the same person older um, because of those choices. Um, I think I appreciate that scene in particular. That's the first moment where the focus shifts away from this idea of a lost, like lost opportunity and a lost love and regret to really putting, putting those moments into perspective because that's not how life works. Like she's right. the first person to say, you know, she asked her if she keeps in touch with Harris and she's like in a Christmas card sort of way. And it's very sincere. Like she has moved on from that and he's not holding a place in, Lil, in in Lila's memory the way he is in, in um, Anne's character, Vanessa Redgrave. And then also this idea that you've lived a full life, you have two beautiful daughters, like you've done so many things. And she says that to the daughters too. You know, Harris was just a boy. He's not a mistake, he's just a boy.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, it is kind of interesting because in a way, that is the question is like, what are we supposed to take from Take this? away.
1: Yeah. Because really up to that point, there's a pretty clear message about like long lost loves and regret. And then right. all of a sudden Meryl Streep comes along and she's like, no, life is life.
0: Right. And like, you know, Mamie as the younger version of her um, Anne, this is where it gets kind of convoluted actually, if it's not already is like, Anne is basically hooking up with um with harris so claire danes is basically hooking up with with patrick wilson while simultaneously like trying to push mamie gummer and patrick wilson together in a way yeah it's a little yeah. conf- she's basically saying like you don't really love this guy you're about to marry you're clearly in love with harris but also she's she's like actively moving in on harris herself while Lila's brother while Mamie's younger brother Hugh Dancy is trying to get her so it's like this weird it's not even a triangle it's like this square it's it's all pointed in one direction and again Patrick Wilson for some reason I mean nothing against him but again the underwritten element of his character but um You know, there was that element of like, oh, maybe this is that movie where it's, it's similar in some ways, again, to what we were just talking about with Bridges in Madison County, where like, she, that character married a a perfectly nice man, wasn't exciting, but a perfectly nice man who gave her children and gave her, you know, a life of contentment and also a little bit of boredom, you know, Is that the same thing? Is, is she basically doing that thing where Lila goes through life with this man who she says is a good man, just doesn't really excite her in the same way that Harris does? Is there some message in there about like, no, you should go for the one who excites you? And it's almost the opposite is true because she's... Okay. Like it's everything you just said. She doesn't, she's not haunted by this years later. She's moved on from it, you know? Okay. And in fact, one thing we should mention, this is kind of spoilery because this is towards the end of the movie. So if you haven't watched it and don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead a minute. But there is um, there is this further flashback that Meryl introduces um, where she again, now played by Claire Danes, runs into Patrick Wilson's character some years after most of the action of this movie. And he basically confesses that he's still in love with her. And she basically is like, oh, I don't feel that way. Thanks, bye. You know, did nice you to see it. Did you interpret it that me? way? Yeah, I did, didn't you? Oh,
1: no, I did not. He was married and had a son. And I think, I think what ha- my interpretation of it was that Buddy's death was so traumatic that she just couldn't mm. I do think she was in love with him so I did not interpret that the same way I just think she because she was already married too right and I think it was like too much she was about to move to California so I got when he told her about the stars and is basically like I'm still in love with you I I interpreted her responses like thank you I feel the same way but this is too much like gotta
0: okay yeah, I don't think we're actually that far off. Cause I mean, some of that I is is how I feel about it too. That basically like I'm not willing to blow my life up at this point for you.
1: Yeah. Uh, I always I always felt like Buddy was the real thing standing standing in the way because his death was so traumatic. Sorry, guys. Spoiler.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't talk about that at all either. But that's interesting. I mean, I'm glad you said that because that's not really something that I have I guess, considered with this particular one. But I think, again, like one thing that maybe is a credit to this movie and also maybe possibly a disappointment depending on the point of view is, you know, it's that movie magic moment where people realize they're in love with each other and it's very under, it's very subtle. Like we had very different interpretations of that moment. You know, it's not yeah. like that magic moment. It's not this the score swells and everything builds to this moment it's almost an afterthought in a weird way which is kind of a unique take i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing as far as this movie is concerned but
1: yeah no i agree it is very it's all it's yeah it's all very subtle yeah for sure nothing is nothing is too in your face i will say another favorite moment of mine is the least subtle moment in the film when claire dane slaps hugh dancy he's He's jumped off the cliff in a drunken fit into water and not come up. And everyone thinks he's drowned. And so they, they jump in after him. And in the meantime, he has swum off to the side, gotten out of the water and come back around to the crowd at the top of the cliff. And it's like, is somebody missing? And she just finally loses it with him. And she, she slapped him and she just kind of gives him the what for. And I really, I was like, yes, somebody is finally speaking truth in this film.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I, I wanted to mention that it is really nice and really sad in a way to see Natasha Richardson uh, home again. This was uh, the second to last movie that she made before she had her untimely accident and death. Uh, the only movie she ever made after this, I have never seen. Um, it's a comedy. I forget what it's called. It sounds like a little teen comedy thing with um, Emma Roberts. Um, It's like Party Monster or something like that. But I've not seen it, but I assume she had kind of a smaller supporting role in that one. And, you know, it's not a huge role that she has in this one either. But she plays one of Vanessa Redgrave's daughters. And of course, Vanessa Redgrave is her actual mother. Um, So she and Tony Collette are the sisters trying to figure out basically the older Anne, like how much of what she's saying is real. They're trying to figure out this Harris who they've never really heard anything about, like, who is this person? And why is she talking about him in her last days on earth? Like, is this some, they basically want to know, is this like some massive regret that she has? Is this person even real? Or is it a, you know, kind of like a dream or a fever dream kind of thing? Cause Eileen Atkins who plays her nurse tells them like some of what she's saying is probably random stuff from her past. Some of it's probably just imagined. And you know, so they're trying to figure out, she keeps talking about this person that they've never heard of before. And so they're trying to like piece together this part of their mother's life that they're imagining is, is real. And they didn't know anything about. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I got to see Natasha Richardson in Lady by the Sea in London mm-hmm. in 2003 at that, I think it was at the Alameda. And um, it's such a small theater space. So it was up close and personal with her. And I got to tell you, I don't think I have ever seen anyone so beautiful or compelling in my life. And the camera does not do her justice.
0: Hmm.
1: Like, and I was quite taken aback. She walked on stage and I, my mind was blown. She had so much it. Like she had the it factor in droves and uh, I, could, yeah, I could have watched her watch paint dry.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm so, is- I'm so, I feel so lucky I had that opportunity to yeah. see her in person.
0: Yeah. Hers is a really interesting career. She's somebody who it seems like, I mean, I don't know. You never know what kind of opportunity somebody had or didn't have. But the stuff that she chose to do um, is all very interesting because it almost seems like she's somebody who like she did set like the parent trap that Lindsay Lohan, you know, like she did those kinds of very commercial things, a couple of those. But she seems very much like her mom, Vanessa Rickray, where like she was taking the stuff that was interesting and challenging and like pushed her instead of what was virtually viable, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think spent a lot of time on stage.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: For
0: yeah. sure. Um, yeah. yeah, she did, she, I think the last stage credit, I'm not looking this up, but I think her last stage credit was a Broadway production of Streetcar Named Desire. She was Blanche DuBois.
1: She was so good.
0: Yeah, yeah, like that would have been amazing. Just, you know, um, she, of course, probably her one of her most notorious roles was the kind of the revival of Cabaret. Um, Yeah. And that had been, I think that had not played for probably since around the time the movie came out. You know, it had been like 20 years, probably. Maybe there had been a revival in between, I don't know. But it seems like that had really kind of gone away. For a while and you know then after that we saw Michelle Williams in it and Emma Stone in it and all sorts of people in like different um versions of that so it kind of brought it back and um and I think part of that was due to her the production that she was involved in you know
1: yeah absolutely yeah because they revived that specific they revived her revival um like completely choreography and everything. Alan Cummins even reprised his role as wow. as the MC. So yeah, I do think she she was in large part responsible. Uh, just because it was so God, it was so iconic. I remember it at the Tony Awards. I remember watching her perform and just being totally mesmerized. It made me fall in love with Cabaret, and I just think it's stuck in people's imaginations, which allowed it to come back. You know, a decade later, it's right? Cool, longer. Right much longer was it
0: 20 years later probably close to twenty. something like that yeah 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 crazy the budget for this was 30 million it brought in about 20 million so it wasn't a huge it came out in the summer which kind of was interesting like i guess it would have been up against like big blockbusters a big summer blockbuster but as you mentioned it has a 20 percent approval rating on rotten tomatoes which is not particularly good a lot of the reviews were not particularly kind. Um, I thought it was interesting were you mentioned earlier, you wondered if, if the male critics kind of mm-hmm. drove down, floor, which I think tends to happen. One of the more infamous uh, reviews came from a woman, Lisa Schwartzbaum from Entertainment Weekly, actually rated this the second worst movie of 2007. The, number, the worst movie, she said, was, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, which was that Adam Sandler movie. And this was the second worst movie in her opinion. It's It's not
1: that bad.
0: Right, right, right. But I mean, like a lot of critics really did not go for this one, you know?
1: Right, I don't know. This has, I think this has a little bit of the, um, of the, uh, oh God, what's the John Patrick Shanley movie I'm so obsessed with?
0: Oh, Wild Mountain Time. Thank you.
1: This has a Wild Mountain Time vibe to it. Like, I think, I think when I saw it, um, I would like it tugged at my heartstrings enough that I came out attached to it in some way
0: right. um,
1: particularly particularly Claire Danes Patrick Wilson and Hugh Dancy like that that portion of the film and uh, I just I've never not loved it even though I can see the flaws and no, none of the characters have enough screen time. Um, I think it's the, I think it's the beauty of the film that keeps me, yeah, that keeps me attached to it because it is, it, and there is like a nostalgia to it. It, it. it creates nostalgia. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's a very watchable movie. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's, yeah, the time passes quickly. It's not a chore to get through this movie, I would say.
1: Did Hugh Dancy and Claire Danes meet on this film? Is this the first they get- film they've been together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they're adorable. Yeah. They're- and I think it is a little like they're great actors. So, but th- I think a little another small problem in the film is that Hugh Dancy and Claire Danes, their scenes together are some of the best in the film. Right. And they have so much chemistry that like Patrick Wilson and Claire Danes together are great, but it's not the same. Right. As, as, as watching Hugh dancing Claire Danes together and so in that way it doesn't quite work there either
0: yeah I agree I mean like you could make the argument that you would be like you should just be with Buddy <laughs> you know like yeah stop.
1: I remember thinking that the first time I saw the film I was like um that guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> partly because he's better written
0: <laughs> that I mean he clearly has a drinking problem so maybe you know yes. like it would have been and some, probably-
1: and some skeletons in his closet. Yes, some issues he needs to work out with a therapist.
0: <laughs> um, as far as some of the other things go, this is currently at a six point five on IMDb, six point five out of ten, which ties it as far as the other Meryl movies. The other movies that have that same rating are The Giver, It's Complicated, and Falling in Love. I would say this is better than probably. The Giver and Falling in Love. It's probably not better than It's Complicated, but, you know, it's an interesting I mix agree. of movies. This does have a higher rating than several kind of maybe more interesting movies in Merrill's filmography. This has a higher rating than Iron Lady, Mamma Mia, River Wild, uh, The Laundromat, <laughs> uh, Heartburn, Let Them All Talk, The Prom. You know, like there are some, there are some quite good movies of Merrill's that are rated lower than this one. So, you know, it's not a horrible rating either.
1: Fascinating.
0: Yeah. IMDb is probably the most unscientific out of all of these systems. I know, right? It's just, uh, it can be anything. Have you ranked this movie in performance by chance?
1: I haven't. I haven't even opened my list, mainly because her part is so small. Right. It's gonna rank lower because of that, although I love her performance briefly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, I did set mine and yeah, it's it's kind of on the low side again. It's not really a slam on the movie. I like the movie. It's just she didn't have that much to do. So this is our 46th movie that we've done. Wow. I know this is a lot. Uh, in terms of performances, I have it at 42. Seems kind of low, but it's so, like, the last few before it are, like, She-Devil, then Suffragette, then Mary Poppins Returns, then this, I have this above, House of the Spirits, Homes Men, Manhattan, and Julia. Um, so, again, it's it's all of those movies are the ones where she's in 10 minutes of it, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. It's not quite as low on the films. I have it at 37, which is still kind of low. Um, the I have it, like, Mama Mia is right above it, and then Heartburn is right after this. So, I have it above Heartburn, and... Um, still of the night she devil and first do no harm and a couple other ones as well so that's where I have it for now um can I interest you in a one-star review
1: absolutely always and forever
0: (laughs) um okay there were there were two that I thought were there was one that I thought was kind of funny it was like a rant somebody went on and then another one that was a little bit more like oh I kind of agree with that (laughs) um I'll read the the kind of funny one
1: which was written
0: by somebody, uh, their screen name is Unbuttered Popcorn and this was written in July of 2007. So this would have been like, you know, they went to see it in the theater. Um, The title is Insulting, Offensive and we only saw about half of
1: it. Oh, okay.
0: Here we go. This is without a doubt, the most offensive chick flick I have seen in years, if not ever. The writing and characterizations are so riddled with stereotypes that the film verges on parody. Before walking out of the theater an hour and five minutes into this disaster, we were subjected to the following themes. Having a baby will solve all of your problems. Performer types are miserable messes. Yeah, I don't really get that one either, actually. (laughs) Performer types are miserable messes. That's very much a storyline. Like, I guess they're saying Claire Dane's character because she's a cabaret singer. I I don't know. These are very, like.
1: But she's someone who's actually pursuing a more authentic, happy life.
0: Right. I think this is the person with a bit of a chip on their shoulder, but it's still kind of funny. Okay, so performer types are miserable messes, and musicians can't be good mothers unless they toss their dreams for a more conventional lifestyle. What a waste of a talented cast and some great-looking sets and costumes. When Natasha Richardson told Tony Collette that unless she lives a more mainstream life, she'll end up shudder, alone, I felt queasy. I uh, I remember that now, but that's-
1: Yeah, it, 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 she's, they, they're right. They're, it does get a little funky in there. Yeah. That,
0: that must've been the last scene she saw before they walked out. That must yeah. be where this coming from, because that's not a huge part of the movie, I think. Um, I can't believe this movie made it to theatrical release. It's the sort of fair one expects from those- quote unquote women's cable channels that I always pass right by when channel surfing. I am female and over 35. So I should be part of this film's target audience, but boy, does evening miss its target. Wow.
1: Well, I, I don't entirely disagree. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like it's so riddled with stereotypes, but I think that's because I'm it's a period film and 1950s mentality around getting married and having children and living any sort of alternative lifestyle was wrapped up into the structure of the film since it's set in that era and so i didn't ever i just didn't take a i just didn't take offense
0: right to it yeah
1: yeah but interesting
0: yeah it's a that is a pointed review for a movie that's
1: having babies
0: will solve your problem i
1: don't think that's a theme in that movie (laughs)
0: it's for... right right it's pretty pointed for a movie that's for the most part inoffensive if nothing else you may even love it but not offensive in any way but whatever to each their own um shall we move on to our other segments yeah let's do it you want to do six degrees or movies we wish Merrill was in
1: let's do let's do six degrees. <laughs>
0: So our person from last time was Eddie Murphy. Yeah,
1: have um, you thought of anything?
0: I did. I actually thought of a bunch. I thought of like five.
1: Oh, nice. Let's did hear you, it. Did you? No, yeah. absolutely not. I didn't. I didn't. I bet I made no effort. <laughs> I love it how I'm not even doing our own segment, <laughs> um, but I'm about to.
0: <laughs> sure. I t- t- um, it, In the spirit of full disclosure, I didn't look on IMDb. I did do these from memory, but I've actually watched several of his movies recently. And um, I've talked before about the fact that I have an kind of absurd DVD collection. and one of the ones that I keep in this room that I like my my music room here is this thing I bought where it's like this Eddie Murphy collection. It's like 15 of his movies in this little collector's case thing. So oh, right. he's one of those yeah, he's one of those people who I can just like take one of his movies out and put it on pretty easily. So I've watched several of his uh, even recently. There's one that he did that, like, I think is a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes and nobody likes yeah, this movie. And I, I actually, I mean, I wouldn't say I really like it, but I don't think it's that bad. It's a movie. Not a lot of people even saw it called A Thousand Words. Have you ever even heard of that movie? Oh, yeah. It's a late career <laughs> for him, but Allison Janney is in that. And of course she was in The Hours and uh, First Do No Harm. Okay. Uh, Power Heist I watched recently. Um, I like that movie a lot, too. It's him and Ben Stiller and Taylor Leone and a bunch of people. Have you seen that movie? Tower Heist? Yes. Yeah. I thought it was funny. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And Alan Alda is the connection there. He plays the basically bad guy in that movie, and he was in The Seduction of Joe Tiny, which we have not yet done with Meryl. Okay. Um, he did a movie with uh, Robert De Niro called Showtime. And um, which De Niro has been in like four movies with Meryl. Uh, one of my favorite Eddie Murphy movies and one of my favorite Steve Martin movies, he's the connection, is Bowfinger. I really love that movie, <laughs> Bowfinger, a lot. Um, so Steve Martin was in his complicated. Christine Baranski is also in that movie and she's been in the Mamma Mia movies as well. And the last one I thought of was uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, the Angela I, Bassett Oh my God, you made all sorts of connections.
1: but Bo- Bowfinger was ultimately mine. That was the only one I could... Come up with. I didn't even remember that Allison Janney was in First Do No Harm.
0: <laughs> oh, she plays the doctor. Do you remember that? The doctor yes. who she, I, yeah, the Allison <laughs> quite good in First Do No Harm, actually. She's, she's quite good. Um, yeah. I'm actually going to remember this time to say who our next six degrees person yes. is. <laughs> so we decided we would do Albert Finney for our next six degrees person. So you can always play this game with us Meryl Street Podcast at gmail.com. I think Albert Finney. I have one already, but I think um, I think he will be a little bit more tricky to do. There's there's one that's kind of low hanging fruit, but, you know, it'll be more interesting. I think. With do you have a movie we wish Meryl was in?
1: I don't this week. I'm trying to think if there's anything I've watched recently that I would like to see her in. I don't have one. What, what What's going on in, in in your world? Have you thought of something?
0: I have. I'm actually proud of this one because um this is, this is a movie that I just saw and I could have put it in our first segment of what, what are we watching, but I intentionally saved it for this. And it also tied in, I really wanted to talk about it when you were talking about Yellowstone and Kevin Costner because it ties in. But I watched Let Him Go, the Kevin Costner, Diane Lane.
1: Uh, what did you think?
0: Have you watched it first? Yes. I really liked it.
1: The Wee Boys, man. They are brutal.
0: Yeah i really liked it and i didn't i I mean again like i love kevin costner again i got to open for him one time i'm sure i told that story on the podcast um i love diane lane i love the fuck out of leslie manville in this movie right that's that's the role i wish and again it's i'm choosing that um and this goes without saying at this point it's not because leslie Mandel wasn't good it's actually specifically because she was so good
1: <laughs> she was so good totally totally and and um yeah that's the part because i can't i mean i can't i can't see meryl in the Di- diane lane part but right yeah oh that would be so good you know what i love about diane lane in that movie is that her fierceness coupled with her overt niceness. Right. Is like, that's my mother. Right. Right. <laughs> that's my mom. She like captures that so beautifully. Uh...
0: Yeah, for sure. I was I was actually about to say, and this is not accurate. For a moment I was like, well, yeah, I mean, it's the more interesting role, but Diane Lane's role is very interesting. It's just, she, she's very subtle in her work in this movie. Diane Lane is really... She she has all of these really interesting colors to her performance. And Leslie Mandel t- does as well. It's just a lot more menacing and a lot more, it's that a little bit more showy role in a way. Diane Lane gets a scene or two where she gets to really like go for it. But Leslie Mandel, anytime she's on screen, she's just stealing it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh yeah. I need to rewatch it. It's so, it's so sad. it's so sad but it's so good yeah
0: Uh, and Costner is great in that one too um
1: that's why you should watch Yellowstone
0: yeah no I'm excited to watch it like I said I'm not it's more just kind of building up because I know once I watch it I'm gonna want to watch a bunch of it so um yeah I'm excited to watch Yellowstone I've really only heard good things about Yellowstone too I've not really heard anything negative about it i'm ready to die no
1: and i haven't either across the board it's been great so i'm surprised i'm as critical of it as i am i mean i'm definitely hooked and have no intention of stopping watching um because some things they're doing are so good yeah um but there's yeah yeah Uh, and it's worth it for for kevin costner for sure
0: yeah well this was a fun one we it
1: uh, was we went a long time
0: we went a long time and, you know, I feel like there are a couple, I think we went really long for another one where she's in like 10 minutes, like The homesman or something. We went off on something. And this, we just
1: have room to talk about all the things. Yeah,
0: but sometimes that makes for more fun. Hopefully our audience sees it the same way. I've never heard from anybody that they don't like our digression. So hopefully, hopefully uh, they don't mind. But we could start leaving time codes for when we actually start talking about the movie, I suppose. <laughs>
1: that's a good idea be like <laughs> if you don't want to hear us ramble about scott rudin and yellowstone please skip to the blink blank mark <laughs> I, think
0: that's, I think that's half the fun and it always comes back in later in the episode in some way anyway like we always reference something else anyway but yeah anyway well what is our next movie meryl
1: our next movie is prime we're gonna lighten things up a little bit
0: yeah her and uh uma thurman interesting comedy i actually I, I like that one. It's been a while since I watched it, but it's it's fun. It's
1: yeah. It's been a while since I saw it too. I saw it around the time it came out, and I haven't seen it since. I'm I'm looking forward to rewatching it.
0: Yeah, it's it's fun. It's another one where it's sort of like she could shoot in New York, and it was probably like three weeks of work. You know, like real easy film. <laughs> she didn't really have to. Like, she basically had to be in an apartment, and that's it. Yeah. So sort of, yeah, she did probably two days of work, maybe even one day of work on this particular movie on evening you know yeah but super short yeah well thanks everybody for listening we'll be back again soon and uh take care bye
1: everybody that's all